Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas, and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers, and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts, and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links, and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates, or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Thanks for listening to episode 144 of Impact Boom. My name is Tom Long, and I'm passionate about bringing you the latest interviews and insights to help you create positive social impact. Today, we're speaking with Dion McGurdy. Dion is a freelance lawyer, social tech entrepreneur, democracy advocate, expert, and speaker. He's a co-founder of NewVote and its CEO, with degrees in political science, psychology, and law. He has recently been confirmed the title of Adjutant Associate Lecturer at the School of Political Science and International Studies at the University of Queensland. He recently spoke at the Global Forum on Modern Direct Democracy in Rome on the topic, What Technology is Making Democracy More Democratic? and co-facilitated a six-day listening and workshop series at the Woodfolk Folk Festival, Redesigning Democracy. On today's podcast, we'll discuss Dion's journey starting New Boat, opportunities for social entrepreneurs, and Dion will share his thoughts on the future of social enterprise and what can be done to drive the sector forward. Dion, thanks very much for joining us off today. Uh, just to start things off, can you please share a bit about your background and what led you down the path of social enterprise? Well, my background is in law, political science, and psychology. I studied those at the University of Queensland. And I think um, probably like many people in my generation, they're growing up with you know, a huge series of world events that you know, essentially are threatening our well-being. We were a generation that thought, let's come up with solutions, I think. I think we were a generation that wasn't wasn't necessarily lost in pessimism, but had some, you know, hope that we could make a, a difference in the world. So, I mean, it, this is a critical period of time, you know, that we're living through right now. The massive technological changes, the social upheavals, the, you know, our, tech, our environment is, is changing. I, I think there's a lot of people, you know, of my generation that are really trying to make practical differences um, so that we end up with a world that, you know, we, we with a good standard of living, you know, for, for us and our children and, and that kind of thing. So I, I spent a great deal of time thinking about what it is that I wanted to, to do with my life. And, you know, I, I, I'm not opposed to having comforts. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not, uh, you don't have to be sort of any kind of anti-capitalist to, to run a, um, a charity. But I certainly want to make an impact in the world positive before I sort of simply look after my own, you know, interests kind of thing. I think that's a really interesting point, especially when you're talking about the generational differences and how we're entering into a new era and we're seeing that with the advancement of technology, the advancement of social enterprise. Mm. I think that's a really, really good topic. Mm. Just for our listeners who maybe don't know about the work you're doing, can you tell us a bit more about the New Vote program? Yeah, so we, we are a social enterprise, but we're not, we don't have a for-profit, you know, component. We're a registered charity. And uh, that's an educational charity. And we're about to become an approved uh, research institute. So NUVO is 
its purpose is about advancing education and enhancing democracy. And the primary way that we do that is through a democracy app, which is a connection between people and their leaders. And so we can apply this to, you know, a multitude of different, you know, circumstances. So, you know, the local school could use it, the, you know, university, the uh, unions, businesses, NGOs, and, you know, our, our vision, our, our aim is to be eventually used um, by government in the, in the jurisdictions, local, state, federal, you know, internationally. So that's essentially direct democracy, which is voting directly on issues, and deliberative democracy, which means, you know, considering the evidence, being inclusive of all voices, weighing, uh, the, uh, doing a trade-off of the, of the pros and cons of a decision, and really just making sure that um, people are informed before they vote. That's deliberative democracy. Those are the two things that we're really trying to, you know, ensure, or we're trying to put into the app. Absolutely, that sounds like a really, really interesting platform. What have been your greatest challenges with the new vote program? Well, um, greatest challenges. I picked probably one of the hardest <laughs> um, projects to ever try to do. You know, I've gone through, uh, you know, I've, I've applied for many kind of grants. There's not a lot of grants for what I'm trying to do because there's a lot of um, groups that say, oh, there's a bit of politics there and they, 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 they just walk away. You know, they, they, they don't wish to get in any kind of trouble. There's a lot of grants out there for um, for-profit organisations and we don't we don't fit into that category. There's a lot of, I think it's probably easier if you're, if you're trying to produce a, a product than it is to produce a service and particularly a software service. People's expectations of technology are extraordinarily high, you know, so people are used to the, you know, the, the Facebook and, uh, you know, Google interactions. Those companies are now, you know, just worth Billions, billions and billions. They can fly people to the moon if they wanted to. And so, you know, people are just getting used to, like, perfect kind of apps. And um, so it really does make it quite hard for a smaller, you know, player to enter that market because you're sort of having to say, please forgive us. It's not going to work as good as, you know, Facebook. We are still, you know, on a journey. And we're going to take time before, you know, the UI, the user experience will really um, be top-notch. So I think, um, yeah, it's it's my journey's probably been harder than many because of the of the tech component and because of the the nonprofit component and because it's political. I mean, we're independent, we're nonpartisan. You know, we're we're trying to be the infrastructure in terms of democracy, but um, the optics of it, if people are just looking at it, they're not fully you know uh, aware. They'll make a snap judgment and they'll say, no, we don't want to buy this. So it's been a lot of hard work, but yeah, we're, I'm proud to say we're getting there now. Yeah, I think that's a really good topic because I feel like a lot of other social enterprises are having similar issues, especially in regards to how advanced technology is, mm. the expectation of technology, and making their way to grants and like mm. showing the value of what they're doing. Mm. What advice would you give our listeners who are keen to start their own social enterprise but are finding it hard to take the leap? Mm. Well, I think you need to be pretty well prepared before you do that. Uh, so I had what they describe in the startup world as a, quite a long run- runway. So I worked for several years as a lawyer 
and I built up my own savings. And then I switched to a job that I worked part time. So three days a week on as a lawyer, two days a week on the social enterprise. And um, I did that for a year and then I went full time into this. And so that cash that I'd saved and that period of time where I had both income and the time to really develop my project is what they call a long runway. You know, it gives me plenty of time before I actually have to get into the air. And um, I think I think it's wise to do that. Probably where people struggle is, is, is if they just try to jump 100% into something. I mean, mine, mine is a very complex kind of um, project, but all projects require, you know, time. You know, they require a lot of thought and a lot of planning. You're best off really learning the, the skills of a startup before you, you know, sort of put yourself in a, you know, financially precarious kind of position. I mean, where possible, definitely, you know, try to be using other people's money, you know, so that you have a, a backup that is just supporting you. And so, yeah, don't make, don't make that leap and unless you've actually got the time it needs to develop it because, you know, if nine out of 10 businesses fail, then, you know, we got to, we got to acknowledge that. We've got to learn from that. We've got to not be the nine out of 10, you know, what makes that one out of 10 special? I think, I think planning has a hell of a lot to do with it, but I think probably more than that. And I don't know if this is answering the question, but I just want to say, I think resilience is, is, is the key skill of an entrepreneur. You know, I, I've had some successes with new boat, some great successes, things that I'm very proud of, but that doesn't mean that every single day I'm, I'm not capable of being hit by some really bad news, you know, and, and something that makes you think, Oh God, what am I doing? You know, this is, you know, not working the way I want it to, or, you know, any, any number of things might happen that it's a roller coaster ride, you know, no, no matter how good you are, no matter how good the idea is, um, no matter how much support you have, it will always be a roller coaster ride. And so you have to accept that, I think, starting out and you have to have just high, high levels of resilience. That means just get hit and then just get back up and keep going. That's the best advice that you can give because nobody can stop someone that's passionate and that is driven, that is that is doing something that they want to do. No one can stop them except themselves, except themselves in, in, in giving up. So, I think that's a fantastic answer in both planning preparation and having that resilience to push on when you mm. do have those dips in the roller coaster. Mm. I think that's a really, really fantastic answer. Thanks. Um, <laughs> It's hard, hard fought um, yeah, experience absolutely. that's given me that answer. Uh, you can only know these things once you're in the program. Yes. Here's a bit of an odd question. For you, what are the keys to measuring and communicating your impact? Yeah, so, well, we are in startup phase, and so we're still doing what startups do, which is learning. You know, we are a learning organization. And what we do is we put our, our service out there, our, um, our app out there we, with a community. We see how they interact with it, we get their feedback, and then we make changes, and then we, we go to the, uh, the next community or back to that community. So we, we can't say at this at this stage that you know we've been highly successful in, in getting an app that has many users. We hope to be there very, very soon. We're starting a series of trials with a large number of organizations. And you know our specific kind of problem if you like, is that we need um, to not just be a platform where people have their say, but a platform where people are being heard. So for our this stage of development, what we 
what we need to work with is organizations that have the leaders willing to engage with the platform. So that's what we're about to start now. So I think the measures of impact will be, uh, the most important measures will be a, a feedback loop occurring where people use the app, they, they vote on something, the leader listens to what they say and the leader makes, you know, a result occurs and the leader makes a decision and a result occurs and then people see that they can actually use, you know, their phone or their computer to vote on something and actually see that happening in real life. That'll be the first, you know, real impact that, that we're having. Until then, what we're doing is, is, is just, you know, developing and learning what we're doing. I mean, I've, I've had a great time. I've, I've spoken in a number of festivals and so on. And the, the feedback I get from the talks that I give are very positive. Last uh, Christmas, we went to the Woodford Folk Festival and we were, you know, just extremely um, humbled and honored to, to have the opportunity to co-host a, um, a workshop called Redesigning Democracy. And that was across six days and one hour every day. We went through a design process, essentially using the festival as a design sprint. And we got just incredible feedback from that. I mean, people people came up to us and, and said, you know, this is sort of like essentially restoring their faith in humanity kind of thing. So, you know, that's to, to hear that, you know, is is really impactful, I think, you know. So I guess we have the anecdotal evidence that we're doing the right thing at the moment. And we hope pretty pretty soon to have the quantitative evidence that, that we're making an impact. That's a really interesting insight, like just staying adaptable and learning as you go. That's a really important aspect of it. Are there any particular inspiring projects or initiatives that you've come across recently, which you believe are creating some really positive social change? Well, you know, it's an organization that I've known about for quite a while, but they've been shaking things up. So I think it qualifies to answer that question. It's called AIM. It's the Australian Indigenous Mentoring Experience. And it is a, a you know, registered charity and educational uh, Indigenous corporation actually and, and what they do is they partner students from high schools indigenous students with university students right and uh you know the program is you know it's very well run and it's very effective they record their results the impact is that indigenous students are finishing high school at, hi- at much higher rates uh, and going to university and completing university so these are the, the measures that they're using and um you know it's been an incredible program that was started off by you know, a 19-year-old, uh, Jack, who is um, a, a social entrepreneur, um, I guess, you know, from, let's say, 10 years ago. And he's sort of not satisfied with sticking with what he knows and what they're doing and what they do well. And he's made Ango Global, which is, you know, a, a massive change. And so going global generally means going to the US. And, you know, he is a guy that has a huge amount of vision and he backs himself, you know, which is what you need to do. And so he's sort of done, rather than entrepreneurship, they call entrepreneurship. You know, there's a, a version when you're inside an organization that already exists, but you, you're sort of exhibiting entrepreneurial leadership. So they're, they're essentially trying to create a new model that would allow this organization to spread to, you know, every country in the world. And, you know, it's, it's already made a huge, huge social impact here in Australia in terms of closing the gap with, you know, Indigenous youth. It's making a huge impact on the First Nations people of you know, the United States, on the, you know, Black population in the United States, and, and they've already opened one up in Africa, for example. So it's it started with a very, very simple idea, 
Jack went to one of the prestigious schools in Sydney for a visit, and he he was had been from Redfern, and he just saw this huge dichotomy between, you know, the way that one sort of class of society was being educated and versus the other side of things. And he got a bunch of his mates and he started this organization off just like that. So, and, and for him, you know, for everybody, the story is different, but for him, it was getting a university on board that said, yeah, we're going to fund this because we want to see this, this impact happening. So, you know, it's about finding these cataclysmic moments. And so Jack's next, his, his next cataclysmic moment is that he's booked a plane. 200 seats to come from the United States to Australia to teach a whole bunch of young, enthusiastic, world-changing people uh, about the program so they can go back there and they can they can spread it. And so, you know, these these changes can happen with just a start with an idea and then validate that idea and then world's your oyster. That sounds like a really interesting project and it sounds yeah. like they're doing lots of positive social change. Mm. As a final question, are there any books that you'd recommend to our viewers? Yeah, so first book is you know, directly on creating your own startup. It's called The Lean Startup by Eric Rise. And you, you'll probably get, you probably hear about this book a few times. And, and if you're like me, you'll hear about it quite a few times before you actually read it. Stop ignoring this advice. Read the damn book. It, it's, it's, it's actually really, really important because he's um, synthesized a whole bunch of you know, experiences in there. And stories that will actually really elicit, you know, the understanding that you need around startups. Because, you know, his definition, if I remember correctly, is a is a startup is a learning organization that is operating in an environment of extreme uncertainty. And if that just clicks with you, yep, yeah, that, that sounds like a startup, then you're already on the right page. If if that doesn't sound right to you, if that doesn't make sense to you, then read it because you will save yourself a whole lot of time, a whole lot of money. A whole lot of dead ends if you actually follow that that kind of advice. And I will just give one other recommendation on my area. If if you haven't read it already, um, there's a book that's called Against Elections: The Case for Democracy, and it's a um, it's written by a Belgian Van Van Raybook is his last name. Um, but if you just Google that title, you'll find it. It's a very short book, very to the point, and it is incredibly informative. Essentially, it's around understanding democracy and the fact that voting in elections is not synonymous with democracy. It's, it's, it's an aspect of it. It's, it's a type of democracy that we call representative democracy. And there's a heck of a lot more to democracy. And people are a little bit confused. They don't, there's a lot of distrust around democracy. There's a lot of lack of confidence in, in democracy and trust in government. And, um, and people are sort of, they don't necessarily know that, that democracy um, can, can also, it might be the problem, but it can also be the solution. That's as simple as I can say it. So check out that book as well. Fantastic. Those are fantastic suggestions. Okay. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Daniel. Tom. Really appreciate it. Yeah, no, me too. Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. You'll find links to the initiatives, people and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org. Please leave your comments below and remember, we'll be publishing fresh inspiration and insights to help you create positive impact every week on the website, Facebook page and Twitter.